0: the people who are waiting for things to go back to normal, they, uh, they're still waiting. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think in the last, I would say in the last couple of months, people are starting to go, Oh, Oh, I actually have to do something. I can't just keep waiting for, yeah. you know, things to go back to the way it was. Cause it's not. So there's a little bit of that, the, the coaches who did the best, the, the, the coaches that I'll say this, the coaches that had the hardest time, were just trying to take what they were doing in the gym online. Yeah. Like just meet me on zoom. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It doesn't work that way because now you're, you're competing in a global market and people are going to go to whoever they like the most. Yeah. they will be loyal. I found people will be loyal for about two months and after about two months, (laughs) you know, if you're not providing the value that they, they expect, then they're going to ask for their money back. Yeah. So, uh, Yeah, really teaching coaches how to provide value outside of a Zoom fitness class was those people who were able to crack that code and put more emphasis on some of the softer skills of coaching uh, did a lot better.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of The Process. Today, my guest is a Navy veteran and one of the original founders of the podcast, Barbell Shrugged. Over the last five years or so, he and his team have revolutionized the way that gyms, trainers, and online coaches do business. He currently has a podcast, The Mike Bledsoe Show, and his coaching business, The Strong Coach. Please help me welcome Mike Bledsoe to the show. How's it going, man? It's going great. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, man. Thanks for being here. So um, yeah, when I first met you or heard of you, it was from the podcast, you know, Barbell Shrugged, and um, to me, it just looked like you know uh, a bunch of friends doing CrossFit, talking about you know CrossFit and lifting and lifting heavy stuff, just having fun. that You guys didn't really monetize in the beginning. Tell me a little bit about how the idea came and how you guys got started.
0: Yeah, we um, well, the idea came when I I started listening to podcasts myself, and I was listening to a guy named Rob Wolf, and because I was a nutrition geek, and he was a he was the quintessential. Nutrition geek, and I remember listening to it. And then I had uh, the guy that was interning for me at my gym. I owned a gym in Memphis, Tennessee, at the time. And in 2011, he was saying, "Oh, you should listen to the Joe Rogan podcast. It's so good." And I'm like, "All right, that, you mean the Fear Factor guy? You know the?" <laughs> and I uh, I went and uh, listened to it, and I realized that when I heard Joe Rogan, I go oh, you can pod, your podcast can be in any format you want. Like it, the, the possibilities of what could a podcast could be opened up. And immediately I go, well, there's gotta be one where like a fun, entertaining, strength and conditioning show, uh, targeted at CrossFitters. And I looked around, there was nothing. And I go, oh man. And so I, uh, my buddy, Chris and I, uh, Chris Moore. And I said, well, let's just start a podcast. Let's just start, let's get a microphone and start jamming. So we started doing that. We played around with it. And then I decided after listening to audio, like I didn't like just using a a Yeti mic. So I went to a guitar center and I said, look, I got a thousand bucks. I can invest in this. I want the best quality sound I can get for a thousand bucks for microphones. So they sold it to me. And then I started doing like, um, uh, I, I set up a studio in my garage and I started holding, uh, I guess, what was it called? Uh, I, I would just have friends over and we'd start podcasting. And after a couple months of just screwing around with, I was doing like you stream, I was like live streaming it and all sorts of stuff. And I was just screwing around with it for a couple months. And then, uh, I, you know, up until that point, I I owned a gym and I had, I was really, I used a lot of internet marketing tactics and I learned from digital marketers and digital information product uh, guys um, that you could make money online. And I tried blogging and I tried setting up email and I just, I'm not much of a writer. And like me being consistent in writing was a challenge for me at the time. And so it hit me, I go, oh, this podcast thing, that's, that's my, that's how I generate leads. Okay. All right. Now, so I had, I knew that I, that it was a way to make money online, but I didn't know how I didn't have a plan and it was really came out of just being passionate about it. Like you could have not paid me a dime. I was going to do it anyway. Um, and we sold some like online seminars and we sold some like posters and stuff we were making. The first 18 months of the show, we were making like a thousand bucks a month. And then, uh, yeah, I went to a conference and uh, Evan Pagan put on, and I was looking at like the dating industry and how the digital information products were put together for that. And I go, you know what? I can do that for fitness. So, uh, yeah, the, the I'd say within two months after that, we were pulling in 30,000 or more nice. in recurring revenue. That's awesome. <laughs> so it's like, sometimes you're, you're just like one small tweak away from, yeah. from making good money. And, but until you find that tweak, it feels like it's a million miles away.
1: No, for sure. I mean, I think it was Gary V who said like the, the longer you can take to, like, to, posi- to position yourself, the more opportunity there'll be to monetize, you know, like later on. And I felt like you guys are just having fun and just putting out good content and just like having a talk in your garage pretty much about w- what you guys love. Um, when, uh, did you guys monetize like right off the bat with those other things like the posters and stuff or like well your first product was like an actual like lifting program that you put like in a pdf or a video video series? it was
0: um i think it's about four or five months in we started selling some posters but we didn't push them really hard it was, it was like 50 bucks for a, a stretching poster and then chris moore he did a seminar at our gym and I recorded the seminar and sold that for a hundred bucks. Nice. It was about a, a three hour seminar on, on how to like lift for strength. So we didn't put out any training programs, but we did put out education. Cause I think that's where our minds were, were at. Like we weren't, we didn't want training programs. So we, we wanted education. So we created yeah. education and it wasn't until I got, you know, I went to that conference where I go, what, the, what do they want? I was like, oh, they want workouts.
1: Okay. I'll give them workouts. <laughs> Did you guys do anything special to, uh, to drive traffic to the podcast or was it just the content and, you know, just put it, just putting it, you know, syndicating it everywhere that, that you could online or how'd you do that? Yeah.
0: You know, in the beginning I had about 200 Facebook friends, uh, and that was it, you know, that was, and, and we had our email list from the gym. So the email list from the gym might've been a couple thousand, Uh, the, uh, yeah, Facebook, I was the most popular guy on the show. So I had like 200 friends on Facebook then maybe 300, who knows how many, (laughs) not a lot. Um, and we just put it out and it was like, it slowly, it slowly got more and more attention from week to week because no one else was doing it. And this is what I tell people all the time is like, you can't repeat what I did because what I did was I was very niche. It was, I was, I was in a niche, but that's not a niche anymore. You can't do strength and conditioning that's targeting CrossFitters because there's only a thousand podcasts already doing that. So we were, we were like, one of the things we did well is we were in a niche and, um, we also had Rich Froning, who is the CrossFit Games champion on like episode two. So a lot of people were googling him, he would pop up on YouTube. now we, they're watching our show and then they're subscribing to our podcast. So I would say the I'd say the first like 10,000 uh, followers out of that was very organic. you know it was really just we were working and it was happening and then for us to have what took us from like 10,000 followers or, or downloads per episode to 150,000, 200,000 downloads was, and a couple hundred thousand YouTube subscribers, was we, we were running ad traffic to our lead magnets. So after we, after we ended up uh, uh, offering programs and we created lead magnets for these programs and we were running ad traffic to them, what we noticed is we, our podcast, instead of being a lead generator, it became a lead nurture. Yeah. And so we would hit them with a Facebook ad. They get on our email list and immediately we're like, Hey, thanks for joining the list. We've got these five episodes that we think you'll love since you opted in for this lead magnet. So it was a really beautiful way of, of like, it was creating leads, but we were also really, we grew the podcast really fast. I, I if we didn't do the Facebook ads, it probably would have been maybe a quarter of the size.
1: Nice. And uh, how'd you make the transition from, you know, the B2C with the barbell shrug to barbell business and like how many years into that? I'm not exactly sure when you guys started that. Well, it's funny is I started barbell business like around the time I
0: started making money from barbell shrug. I think it was around because it was about a year and a half in. And what was happening was, uh Because we were using good business practices, and we had we had learned some things from uh, some f- some fitness pros on how to run a gym, we were doing pretty well at the time in 2013. This was, yeah, this was 2013. CrossFit gyms, nobody was making any money, and most people most CrossFit gyms aren't making money. But still today, but a lot of them have figured it out. So we were one of the few gyms that were actually making money. Then I had, I had athletes training in my gym that were, you know, going to the games I had, we were showing up to competitions. We had a strong team. So in the region, I was starting to get some, you know, plus I had this podcast. So now I'm getting hit up all the time. Like, how do you run your gym? What do you charge? Can you, and I found myself getting on the phone and just consulting for free. So, you know, if we rewind to 2008, I hated marketing. I hated business fast. I, I learn it to So I can eat and then fast forward, you know, five years and I'm consulting and I'm doing it for free. And I go, I love this. I'm having so much fun sharing with people how to be successful. And, uh, but I'm like, I can't keep just doing phone calls all week. Yeah. I was like, you know what? I'm getting the same questions over and over again. Second podcast. So, it was near the end of 2013. We started barbell business. Um, actually I had a habit of springing things on my, my (laughs) partners and co-hosts, like during shows like, Oh, we're going to start this. like, Oh, we are. We didn't discuss that. Okay. (laughs) And, uh, so we launched that and I'd say, I think it was about a year later, we, we launched a product that helped teach gym owners. It was called, uh, the name of our gym was faction faction fundamentals blueprint. I bet you could still buy it. It's uh, <laughs> it's out there floating around 1500 bucks. And it would, it was, it taught gym owners how to, we gave him some email sequence stuff. We thought it was a Weber back in the day. Yeah. And uh, we said, this is the first 12. You're going to teach fundamentals. These are, this is exactly how to teach a class. This is what we teach for nutrition. This is what we teach for movement this is what we teach for workouts. And then this is when you make your pitch. So like we we had a little bit of basic sales in there, and so that's that's really how that one took off. And that one did that one did pretty well. It's funny, is because it didn't get a lot of attention in the beginning, but I remember after the first year, it made like two hundred fifty thousand dollars from that product, and it was literally just doing the show once a week is all we did to promote it.
1: Nice. Now I don't know if it was barbell business or maybe your your personal show, but you've had some big names like on the show. I, I even believe one time I think you guys flew up to like San Francisco, got like Tim Ferriss on there, I think. Yeah, Is yeah, I remember yeah. that. Yeah, I've, uh, <laughs> I've interviewed him a couple times now. Yeah, now you guys live in the same city, so it won't be as hard. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll see. So, what was your strategy to get bigger name people like on the podcast, get them on the show?
0: You know, it was um, it was a bit of a climbing the ladder type of scenario the the, the two things that really allowed us to do that um was that we did all of our podcasts in person all of them right and so I ended up being buddies with everybody I mean you know what it's like yeah we've done shows and so it's like it's like we're gonna go grab a bite we're gonna like we're gonna we're gonna kick it and so we end up being friends with people so if we were to uh and, and then I think there's something that happens when people see you on camera so people see me on camera with Tim Ferris, yeah and so like now people are going Joe Rogan you need to get mm-hmm. Joe Rogan or Mike you need to go on Joe Rogan so people are like tweeting Joe Rogan and <laughs> about about me which is hilarious that doesn't happen much anymore <laughs> but it was I think it was like spending time with people in proximity and then just saying hey who who would you be a good interview for this and really just asking that person i think it's a lot more difficult when you're doing remote podcasts to ask for those types of favors it's kind of like uh eh, maybe yeah. like, i don't really know you you know is is cuz a lot of people interview me where like i i do a podcast with them 3 months go by i'll see them in person somewhere and i forgot who they were yeah because it was like it was just another call in the middle of my day and all this. And so I think that we did well with that. And, uh, I think when we would hit people up, we just go, well, we had so-and-so on, uh, you know, we had Joe DeSena, the CEO of Spartan race, or we had a boss rootin from UFC or, or whatever it was. And, uh, we really worked our connections too. like boss rootin. I got him because I know Dr. Andy Galpin and, and Galpin is really, Uh, involved in the UFC and MMA as a sport. And so he's actually been able to facilitate that. So it was really like leveraging the network that we, that already existed. And then being associated with the names that were already on our show.
1: Nice. So you've pretty much been into everything kind of like I have, you know, from info products to coaching, B2B, B2C, um, even software. Um, What would you say is like uh, one of the hardest things that you got into that you probably wouldn't have if you had to do it all over again? Oh, man.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'll say this. I think coaching is the easiest. Um, You know, it's it's like the – it's super high skill, like to do it well. Yeah. But once you have that skill – and I'm sure it depends on the person. The hardest for me was – getting into software and, uh, you're smiling, you like, yeah, <laughs>
1: <Yeah, I> know, I guess <laughs> I knew the answer. <laughs> yeah.
0: The, self, the software was difficult. Um, and you know, there was aspects of that business that I probably made more difficult than they needed to be. There were things I just didn't understand it, it, getting into a software business. And then what I did was I partnered with a software company. And then we were the front end, they were the back end and we had uh, an agreement Um, and it went really, really well. But I noticed that between the two companies, so like the thing I learned there was it wasn't just the software piece. It was that that business relationship with other human beings and we weren't quite aligned Mm -hmm. on values like there was just something that was off. Yeah, we were serving the same clients. We were interested in helping them do the same thing. But what we thought was important, like the things that we would prioritize, was different. And so uh, that actually ended up making it a lot more difficult. And uh, so I think that's what – it's kind of hard to say that software was harder. I was like, I don't know if it was due to the relationship with the software company or if it was the actual uh, – business was harder, but I do remember wanting the software to improve faster than we were able to, to improve it.
1: And yeah, I mean, that's, that's a common problem in pretty much every software company I know.
0: <laughs> yeah. And every, and the clients, you know, want it. And it, like, we, we change and we make a major iteration we're excited about, and then there's another problem. So it was, uh, yeah, I would say that was the least enjoyable and that's some of the reasons why.
1: So you've done, like, you started with B2C and then, you know, B2, and then B2B. What do you think are, like, the major differences or challenges when you're promoting or marketing or even running a B2C company versus a B2B?
0: Um, B2C, I, uh, or sorry, B2B, um, I actually find to be easier uh, on the sales front because I can, I can, I've always been in the business of making sure that my clients make more money. Yeah. So it's like, give me a thousand, you'll make ten thousand. And they go, yeah. oh, I was like, if, if, if they can find the money to do it, they'll do it yeah. because it works, right? So it's, it's pretty easy. Now, the B2C, um, for things that are not about making more money, um, I find that to be a little more challenging on the sales side. And, uh, I see that. Uh, so one of the things that we did really well with barbell shrug, our first offer was the six month muscle gain challenge and it blew up. And the reason it blew up is because it was a specific goal and a specific amount of time. And it hit a specific pain point. We got a lot of hard gainers in there. And then, you know, I made the mistake of making additional programs that did other things that didn't really hit the pain points with my specific audience as well. So I think that that, uh, the biggest challenge like it to me, it's like easy to sell making money. Cause that's a big, that's a major pain point for almost everybody. Yeah. And that's usually like how I do B2B, but B2C, it's like really takes narrowing in on someone's pain yeah,
1: and, sure. and, that, and it, it may not be tangible. Yeah, no, for sure. Like that's my, my experience as well. Like you said, like when it comes to business, it's like if the numbers add up and you, and they believe that you can do that, then it makes sense. It's an investment, right? Where. If you're selling a fitness program, it might be a, you know, a steal to one person and then overpriced to the other just based on their values alone, based on their perspective on fitness and what they feel they need. So yeah, I think your marketing, like you said, hitting those emotional you know buttons and those pain points, you have to go a lot deeper and, and that might have to take a little bit longer as well to make the sale.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Although I will say when you're selling, make more money, it okay. does uh, tend to attract skepticism. because. Everyone's getting pitched on that all the time. Yeah, you know? I got people dropping my DMs like, "Let me manage your crypto." I'm like, "Get, get out of here! Get out of here!"
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, so with your with your person with your the Mike Bledsoe show, um, you know, it's a totally different angle. Um, how did you? Uh, what made you want to start that? Because I know that was more of like a lifestyle type thing. I was hey, "You talk," I know you talk business as well, but I know you've gotten into, you know, you call yourself the seeker of truth. And uh, all that fun stuff, but um, yeah, tell me a little bit about how you started that show.
0: Yeah, you got to be uh, be careful with the truth, folks. That's <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a crazy rabbit hole. I didn't know what I was actually signing up for. Um, yeah, I, I I started that while I had barbell Shrugged and barbell business operating, and primarily because you know I was in a time in my life that I wanted some uh, more uh, artistic expression. And so I found that I had two podcasts that were highly focused on specific topics, solving a specific problem. And there was a dollar attached to each show of like what it costs to produce because we had high production value. And so it needed to make a return. So it's like, I have all this financial pressure Around these shows, and I go, man, I just want to do shows the way I want to do my show, and I want to talk about what I want to talk about, and because I was running into in my life so many interesting people who were not a fit for barbell shrug or barbell business, but I go, man, the world should hear these voices. I'm curious. I I learn um, for for the longest time for a good seven years there, like. I learned by interviewing people on podcasts. I was like my favorite way to learn. And so, uh, yeah, I I started interviewing people around things like sexuality, spirituality, um, you know, business that was not necessarily associated with the fitness industry, uh, psychedelics. uh, There was just all these things uh, that, that weren't a fit for what I was doing previously. And I, at the time I, I, I guess I needed it because I was, because I did it. And uh, I look back on it. I go, wow, that was just a really, just this desire to express myself. And uh, I would say, I don't, I, I'm I'm glad I got that out of my system. uh, Cause I actually thought it was, I thought it was something that was like, I had this grand vision of like, maybe this is the thing that ends up like really being the thing. And as more time's gone on, I'm like, yeah, I really don't care if people know what I think about things as much anymore. Like I don't, I don't have, that's what happens when you seek truth. You end up finding out you don't need uh, any validation from anybody else. So it, uh, <laughs> so I, I ended up, uh, yes, it's, uh, so now like when I'm looking at podcasts and, and putting out content, it's very focused these days and I get my self-expression in with, you know, my close friend circle. Nice. So I, I, I do think it's, I think it's interesting to watch a lot of coaches out there just teaching people like, hey, just express yourself. I'm like, hang on, hold your <laughs> horses. You can do that. Yeah. It's not my, it may not make you any money. Like, that's not the solution. That's, that's the help. They may help you in some way and that you're letting off some steam. So then you can then focus, but it's not going to lead directly to, to helping and serving other people.
1: Nice. So let's that, change gears a little bit, get off the, you know, from podcast to your, your latest, uh, you know, the, the strong coach, you kind of went back to your roots to coaching, but also helping people with, uh, their business and online, um, especially with, uh, the last year and a half or so, you know, people really needed that. So, um, how did you get, how'd you start the strong coach? And just tell us a little bit about that story.
0: Yeah, I, um, man, it's, it's actually, it's, it's a beautiful story The the, uh, I left barbell shrug and I left barbell business in the uh, like January, 2018. And I had gone through, you know, some personal development work and really did a lot of reflection. And I, um, my business had done, you know, we we had had some hardships at the end of 2017 and I really got questioning, you know, is this what I should be doing? What, why did I build this? You know, why did I build this company? Why did I, Why did I get so well known? You know, how like it's just I built this really strange life that is where I have notoriety and money and I'm not any happier. And I go, fuck, man, this is not this is not what I thought it was going to be. So I said, you know, I'm taking I'm taking a year off. I'm going to take a year off and I'm not working. I'm not doing shit. So I ended up starting three businesses that year, (laughs) but the first six months I did not do anything. The first six months I traveled around the world. I kicked it. I, I didn't do anything and I was intending to not work. I was in an extended sabbatical and I, um, I was actually here in Austin, Texas. I was visiting Austin, Texas. I hop in a float tank one night for a 90 minute float. And in the first five mi- minutes, the name, the strong coach comes into my, my consciousness. I'm like, okay, I get ideas all the time in the tank. No big deal. I'll just let it go. And then the next, for the rest of the float, I just got the message. No, you need to help these coaches out and you know exactly what to do to help them out. So do it. So I said, okay. So, um the next day I was actually, I was staying with Michael and Adi Cashew, who's who are a couple who I coached them both. They were part of the mastermind early on with barbell business and they had built really successful coaching businesses. So not only did I, I get out of the tank, but I get out of the tank and I go see them. And uh, I'm like, okay, this is even more confirmation. And I mentioned it to him. I said, should I do this? And they go, well, yeah, <laughs> you're the perfect person to do this. And I go, okay, well, that's great. That feels good. Um, and my intention and what what I realized afterwards is I was traveling around and I was, I was popping in the gyms and I was hanging out with coaches. Coaches are my favorite people to hang around. And I, um, I noticed that they were having a hard time communicating with their clients. I, I recognized that some of the stuff they were doing with clients, I was like, "Ah, man, they're not going to keep that client very long. They're just, you you know how it is. You see a trainer with with a with a client, and it's just cringe most of the time. Yeah. So that's what, and I go, you know what? So when I when I launched the Strong Coach program, I put a call out on my podcast. I said, hey, I'm gonna take uh, five coaches. I'm gonna do a beta program. I'm gonna take five coaches, do an eight week course where I'm gonna teach you how to be a better leader, how to communicate better with your clients, help get your clients better results, all this stuff. I had a hundred applications come in right. and so I ended up selecting six and I selected the six and by the time I got to week three, so I thought I knew what I was going to present. Mm-hmm. I got to week three and I realized I've got to teach these people business.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, what good is teaching them how to serve their clients better if they can't even get the clients in the first place? Yeah. So, uh, even though it was not my intention, I, I started teaching business and now it's become, uh, you know, the primary marketing driver. Like when we market what we do, it is like, get your clients better results. But the primary thing is like, let's get you up to $10,000 a month. And you know, that, that really is what gets, that's the pain point for the coaches and that gets them in the door. Um, so it's, it's been a really beautiful process and it's the first time in business where I wasn't, where I was really just giving the clients what they needed. Um, even when I sold the training programs, I was listening to what they wanted. I them what they, they wanted. But this was the first time where I was like continually refining my offer and continually refining my process to get them exactly what they need every step of the way. And I didn't care if I had to learn a new tactic in order so, so I could teach it. Because like one of the things that happened for me was, you know, I'm teaching marketing, but I, all my experience is like, I've got a big YouTube channel and podcast. Like all I got to do is put the word out and people sign up for my stuff. (laughs) So I, and I understood, you know, all the other aspects of marketing, but I had to start going, okay, you have 300 followers on Instagram and nothing else. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to learn some other things about marketing so I can teach it. So it was the first time I really just I focused more on what I was uh, what the client needed versus what I wanted to teach. And before I see coaches do this a lot, they're like, "Oh, I got this. I learned this new method or technique. I'm going to go teach that." I'm like, "No one cares about that.
1: They want their problem solved." Nice. Now with the the whole like global pandemic and everything that's happened in the last year and a half, like pretty much, you know, every trainer became like a online trainer by you know by force. <laughs> so. What was that like uh, getting like, you know, before you were probably getting more people that knew they wanted to go online and then after that you're getting people that pretty much had to out of necessity and w- what differences did you see and now that there's more competition, how did you help them set themselves apart and uh, what kind of offers did they did they did uh, did you recommend out of the gate, you know, for them?
0: Yeah, man, when the pandemic hit, I, I was going, oh shit. <laughs> I was like, I do not know what's going to happen. Uh, what I, What I did was, I ended up getting on, uh, I I was hosting uh, daily calls for anyone who had ever graduated from any of my programs. It was, uh, they could hop on Zoom with me, there'd be 30, 40 people every day coming in, and I'd go, and I had them fill out a type form before they came in. I was like, what's your, what's going on for you? And we would just problem solve for a couple hours every day. And so that really informed me on what to do, because some of my ideas in the beginning didn't work. Uh, But the uh, as far as gym owner, I'll, I'll talk about gym owners and then I'll talk about coaches because they're, they're, they're different. The gym owners that did well were the gym owners who already took on being a coach yeah. and they, they were selling coaching packages instead of gym memberships. And so they were really being a little more, they were being more holistic in their approach to helping, uh, their clients reach their goals. And then, so, there were gym owners who, you know, for that, they they like intellectually wanted to do it, but something inside of them was holding them back from pulling the trigger on offering their clients more. There's a lot of like, you know, self sabotage type of things going on. Like, oh, I don't feel like I have anything to offer. I'm like, you know, <laughs> like this is why you're here. We're we're teaching you to offer them something new and how to communicate that. But what I noticed was the people who remained like. I just, you know, I have gym memberships and that's it. They suffered. And the, yeah. and the coaches, uh, the gym owners who were really coaching their athletes and had set up goals and they were like, they were willing to, to meet them anywhere in their life to help them achieve those goals. Those clients actually got more members. So I had gym owners at the beginning of COVID who got more members. Nice. And then, um, but then I had some that basically went out of business.
1: Yeah.
0: And then uh, uh, with the coaches, what I noticed was there was a huge surge. We had a surge of new clients come in when COVID hit and it was a wake up call. People go, Oh shit, I've been waiting. I've been waiting to take control of my own life. I think a lot of people realize that, that they were not, you know, they were just, uh, drifting through yeah. life. And then this was the wake up call. Like you're not, you think you're safe by not doing anything, but you're not safe. Yeah. So we had a big influx of people come in. that were like, okay, I'm ready to take charge of my life. I go, perfect. You're in the right place. Let's do it. And then, so we saw a big surge. And then, uh, as the year went on, I think what happens, we got everyone who was thinking about doing it, that were ready to pull the trigger. They did it. And then as the year went on, it, it got thinner. And I think a lot of people who, the people who were waiting for things to go back to normal, they, uh, they're still waiting. Yeah. Right. And so I think in the last, I would say in the last couple of months, people are starting to go, "Oh, oh, I actually have to do something. I can't just keep waiting for, yeah. you know, things to go back to the way it was because it's not." So there's a little bit of that. The the coaches who did the best, the 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 coaches that I'll say this, the coaches that had the hardest time were just trying to take what they were doing in the gym online. Yeah. Like just meet me on Zoom. Mm-hmm. It <laughs> doesn't work that way. Yeah. Because now. You're you're competing in a global market and people are gonna to go to whoever they like the most. Yeah. They'll be loyal. I found people will be loyal for about two months. And after about two months, <laughs> you know, if you're not providing the value that they they expect, then they're gonna ask for their money back. Yeah. So uh yeah, really teaching coaches how to provide value outside of a Zoom fitness class. Was those people who were able to crack that code, and put more emphasis on some of the softer skills of coaching, uh, did a lot better.
1: Nice. And um, what what are some of the main things that you, uh, when they do go online, that you teach them to be able to scale? Because like I know, like you said, a lot of them just take what they're doing offline online, and that definitely isn't scalable. Um, So what what other kind of offers would you recommend for them to be able to continue to grow their company and not? you know, come up to like a time crunch where they have no more, you know, no more time themselves or they have to go out and recruit other coaches or is there, do you have a, um, an offer that's truly scalable? Um, so for, for our clients,
0: the offers they're putting together.
1: Yeah. The coaches like, so like if they're doing a coaching business, like they can, you know, they're the only ones coaching. They can only take on so many clients based on, you know, how much time they're, they're giving that each client or whatever. Right. So if it's like group coaching or is it getting other coaches underneath of them or is it a product or, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, so uh, what we do is um, there, there's two things that we do that we focus on in the business. One is I tell people all the time in in the first month of the training, they're like, why are we doing all this work? That's not specifically giving me clients right now. I I go, I don't want you to do what I did. I don't want you to build a a, a million dollar brand and still hate your business. Like, (laughs) and, and be working really hard. Cause I worked hard to, to grow that business and uh, it doesn't have to be done that way. Yeah. So what we do is we configure, we, we, we suggest models uh, that are scalable. And so what we do is we teach everyone to really choose a specific niche and really nail it hard. Um, I like to in the beginning of the strong coach, I didn't give a lot of structure. And as we've been operating longer, I go, I see that this works. So mm-hmm. we're just going to teach this and we, we know how to deviate from the, the curriculum, but it really is nail the, the niche down. So what you end up is you have people who they have a common goal and they have common struggles and problems. And so we say, look, create a, it might be a 30 day, 60 day, 90 day, six month program so we have we have coaches that take people what we what i'm a big proponent of and not everyone does this but 90 percent of our clients do build a program that has curriculum Mm -hmm. so it's you know 20 minutes of curriculum a week they get a group coaching call they get some text accountability there's all this stuff built in to help them uh reach their goals and it's all about it's all about what is what is it that you can provide as a coach that's going to help them reach their goals and because most coaches just think, oh, I learned this in my certification. So that's what I offer. It's like, no, <laughs> there's all this other stuff you could be doing. Think outside of the box. Yeah. And so uh, we have so many examples of that now that it's easy for coaches to go, oh, I'll just adopt this. I'll adopt that. And so what ends up happening is when, when you have a, a, a coaching program that's based off of curriculum and there's, and there's uh, things that are happening from week to week. I can now hire coaches. So I, I basically teach people how to do what I do. Yeah. I just teach them mm-hmm. how to build the business the way I built the strong coach. And I've been able to hire coaches and then they know the curriculum front to back. They have all these coaching skills and then they help the clients through the process. And so I, I, I've i seen some coaching businesses where there's not a lot of structure and what those coaches need to they what they need to pay those uh, the coaches that are working for them, they need to pay them a higher rate, yeah. but, uh, we've automated so much of the process and, that the coaches really just got to show up to their coaching call and help people, you know, move through whatever stories they have going on. They have some responsibilities, but we really lighten the load. So, um, I don't, they're not having to create anything. Like mm-hmm. I created everything and they're just working off of my structure. So I, it makes it much more scalable uh, because it, if you have to find a high level coach, like all my coaches are high level. I'm not saying that that's not the case, but if I had to find someone who was going to coach, like my coaches couldn't coach like I coach. Yeah. So I've got to like, by creating that curriculum, it expands what we're able to do. And it also makes it much more difficult for uh, like, like they're just not interested in going and doing it on their own either. Cause they're like, they're very happy coaching and they recognize all the work I do to create structure. And they're like, okay, I'd rather just coach the strong coach. And any coach can do that with their business. If they create enough structure.
1: Hey, man, I just want to thank you again for being on the show. A lot of great, uh, great advice, great insight. Is there anything you want to leave my audience with? Uh, The floor is yours. Let them know how to find you. All that good stuff.
0: Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Yeah. On Instagram, uh, Mike underscore Bledsoe and uh, The Strong Coach. uh, Those are both Instagram accounts and uh, thestrongcoach.com. Aside from that. Yeah, that's that's about it. I'm keeping it simple these
1: days. Also, awesome, man, it looks like everybody that left California is either, you know, Texas, you know, Austin, Florida, or Puerto Rico. So you probably had no, already know a lot of people down there.
0: I do. Yeah. Like a, I went to a party last weekend. I go, I think a half these people are from SoCal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. But hey, man, it's great catching up. It was great talking to you and I'll be in touch soon. Thanks, man. All right, Jeff. Thank you.